0: We start to talk about our topic today. We want to thank our sponsors. Thanks to Gateway Market and Cafe, that's our grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Gateway has a catering service too, featuring a wide variety of options. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Thanks also to Noche, Des Moines' premier location for jazz and cabaret. Noche attracts top-notch national and local talent and features one of Des Moines' best cocktail bars. I have had the Reka there, very good. That's Noche Jazz and Cabaret on Walnut Street just south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Thanks also to Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines' historic East Village. Chef Suman Hawk sources 90% of the food he serves from Iowa farmers which is which is Doug? Probably not for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, producers, that's Hawk Restaurant. Doug, you are an owner-operator of a farm, and uh, where's your farm located?
1: Um, northeast of Elkhart. Okay. Poke. It's in Polk County. We have land. We farm land in Story County too.
0: Okay, and that we rent. Uh, something that we have in common. When I had uh, land in Jasper County, one little acre, not a farm. Hmm. Uh, just our residence. We both got a big packet of information one day from Dakota Access Pipeline or energy transfer that we were on the route of the pipeline.
1: Yeah, the
0: Dakota Access Pipeline. We heard
1: rumors about it for you know a while in advance of that. Mm-hmm. And then then that happened.
0: Um, yeah, it was it was a really hard piece of mail to get and look through all the brochures about how great it was going to be for everybody. And I think we we both kind of figured from the start not a good deal for Iowa. But the neighbors that I lived near, um, you know, it, it you feel like you, you're kind of told it's a done deal. So just go ahead and just go ahead and sign an easement, and uh, that's what a lot of people did. And that's, you can't blame people.
1: That's what we did. I was I was really dreading it though, um, the thought of it because of the direction it was going at an angle across your farm. How how many fields that would disrupt? Mm-hmm. You know, your your operation for that year because I had experience with two, we have a series of pipelines on our property, and I, I can remember when two of them went in, and they were straight north-south, right on the edge of some land. And
0: what kind of pipelines, what, what was being carried in those pipes?
1: They're both petroleum pipelines.
0: And how big is that kind of pipe? It's...
1: I think in 1966, one came through and it was 12-inch, okay. and then in um, 1980, another one came through, and I think... I thought it was 24, and I think maybe it's only 18. Okay. It's so, owned by Coke. The other one is owned by Magellan today.
0: And they they came in and they went north and south. They went straight north, north and
1: south. They okay. kind of they kind of go through Des Moines here, and uh, you know there's a big terminal at Clear Lake. Everybody's seen along the interstate, and then for, they go, for the, those for those, those pipelines. for those pipelines, mm-hmm. and then they the, 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 um, they ended up in Minneapolis.
0: Okay. The difference between that. And the Dakota Access Pipeline is is pretty vast, and oh, it's I, just
1: like night and day. Well, they kept on,
0: telling us it's just another pipeline. Yeah. It's just another pipeline. So yeah. why bother? Why why fight it?
1: We, you know, we had the disruption of the one year when they put the pipeline in, which they played damages on, and and I'm sure they, there was an earlier easement because all these pipelines are together, and it, you know, the next year you just kind of went about farming. And
0: this is the, after the Dakota Access Pipeline. No, this right? was after oh, the
1: 66, okay. 65 or six, or nineteen eighty. Mm-hmm. You know, after they were gone, you know, you went you went about your um, farm operation. You didn't even realize that they'd been through. Okay. And this one, was except tor- to
0: know they're carrying fossils. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And at
1: that time, you didn't. You know, you just thought it was a benefit.
0: Sure. It seemed like it was something people mm-hmm. needed. Mm-hmm. There was no other technology.
1: I had I had the unique experience of uh, I was a kid, and the person who was farming this land that we now farm, he um, was spring plowing, board plowing, and he hit the pipeline, and it was a pro, it was pro, it was carrying propane, liquid mm. <laughs> liquid propane, and if that wasn't an experience to see that, and he survived it. The wind was in the right direction, wow. and uh, um, but um, the Nevada Journal came down and co- you know took a picture, and we were in the back in the foreground or whatever of the picture, so something I'll never forget.
0: Well, the the Dakota Access Pipeline is not a 12 or 18 inch pipe going north and south that you barely notice until somebody runs into it. It's a 30 inch, right? 30 inch, and they yes. took a 50 foot permanent easement. There's yes. a hundred foot construction easement. Yes. That's a big swath of land. Yes. And a fifty foot permanent easement going diagonally through your farm. And <clears throat> what does that mean for the future of that space of land on your farm? Well, so <coughs> far,
1: that's been the most disappointing part of, of of the whole process is that I don't think our land's ever gonna be the same.
0: How is it different?
1: It's um well, because they
0: promised people we'll just yeah. we'll, we'll make it. oh they, I remember one of them saying we'll make it purtier and we found it uh, when we were at the Capitol one day kind of speaking out against the pipeline one yeah. of the workers who was there and
1: I I heard workers. I heard the story too at the time that the guys said okay we're done in Illinois and they were able to put a crop in and the crop is better this year than than um, the non-affected land.
0: That doesn't and,
1: make any sense. No, it doesn't. And I didn't believe it for a second. What but did I, but I, did hear that. I did hear that.
0: What did you find on your land? You, well, have, you we're, farmed it how many years since the pine I think,
1: th- th- I think this is the fourth <clears throat> crop afterward. And we had a very good crop this year um, in spite of all the obstacles that we you know, fought all year. But I, I still say that when you get to the right-of-way, the yield goes down by by 50%.
0: Fifty percent difference I, in the in the I, right yes, in the yeah, have, You
1: know, you have a monitor in your combine, and it, it just immediately you can I, you can see the crop looks different. It's just it's just not the same. Um, you know, it just doesn't look hardy. And when you're harvesting it, and then the you know the yield monitor goes down, and then you cross the right away, then wrap back up.
0: What causes that difference in the production on that land? I, I have some ideas. Well, I—it's—it's got—it's I got,
1: got, got to be compaction.
0: Okay.
1: They, you know, of the soil. Of the soil, they put they put this in through us, and I think most of Iowa. You know, it was a bad it was a bad weather year, like like we're like every year. There was a lot of rain that end. year. Yeah, we had two four inch rains when they were uh, constructing it on our on our segment. And uh, all, that, all that traffic of dozers and backhoes and, and um, the semis delivering the, the pipe and then all, all the work back and forth, back and forth over the same land. I mean, I don't think, I don't think it'll ever be the same. I think this compaction goes way below um, where the frost can have any effect of breaking it up. The frost heaves that's, that's and what, pushes yes. and
0: helps it to kind of keep. That's it what goes. they're.
1: That's what we were kind of relying on a good hard winter and uh, you know deep frost and to break it up. But I think it. I think it's. You know, it goes much deeper than that. And um, um, one one possibility is to go in and um, deep rip the soil. Um, but you know, I don't want to. I don't want to do it it's you know it shouldn't be it shouldn't be at my expense
0: well the pipe is in there and then the yeah. basement is a little broader than the yes. pipe but you you're going to have
1: to stay clear of it. you're going to have to stay clear of the pipe
0: would they even allow you to do that yeah. cuz they own that land yeah. technically
1: yeah that you know they'll uh you know that's what they suggest to do but you know oh. they always say can you do you have the equipment to do it you know they they kind of want to push want it on you they they say, want to push yeah. it on to you and i said no i don't have that Type of equipment that's going to be up to you yeah. to, to to straighten this out.
0: No, they won't. And, and then,
1: aside from the compaction, well, it's it's a product of the compaction. We have wet areas on the on the right away now that we didn't have before, okay. and um, you know, you get a you get a, a wet spring, wet fall. You know, they're pretty much unfarmable.
0: Um. They promised too that they would be careful to split the topsoil and the subsoil. Did you? How did you see them going through that process? Well,
1: you know, really, I think that was a. I think that was a. I don't understand why they did that, because you could dig a, you could dig a 30 inch, or a 48 inch wide trench, whatever they needed to bury the pipe, and, you know, fill it back in. And I, I I really think you would have had less effect on the land.
0: So you're saying the compaction was a bigger issue for you? Yeah. Anyway.
1: I, I I'm not soil. I'm not worried about the topsoil thing because eventually you're gonna build you're gonna build some topsoil, and um, most a lot of this land doesn't have hardly have any topsoil on it anyhow. Okay. Some of our land is rolling and some of the some of the knobs of, of the. Hills or whatever, the very little topsoil. So there
0: hasn't always so been I, the sustainable practices well, in place that you probably. Have
1: well, we're trying. We're trying, but you know, we've got we've got more terraces on our field on our land than I can I can count right now. We're trying, you know, waterways and terraces and buffer strips, but um, it's you know the land is still productive, but there's there's not much topsoil on on a lot of it.
0: Well, <clears throat> that pipe has been in the ground for. How many? Years I think. Is it?
1: I think. It's, did they put four, it? Four.
0: Four years. Did they put
1: it in in fifteen? Three years. ago. Yeah. Uh, June of
0: June of 2015. Yeah, they got started. A little over three. They years. got
1: started late. You know. It started they,
0: pumping oil. Yeah.
1: That's been pumping. Okay. Yeah. Well, it then a year prior to that's to build That's when they were it.
0: building. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um. So oil's been flowing a uh, little more than half a million barrels a day. And this is oil that's coming from the North Dakota Bakken region. That is fracked. It's it's toxic crude oil. Um, it's a pretty, pretty high You know more about the pressure in the pipe and everything. And that warms that pipe up in the soil as well, right? As the yeah, oil flows cause you, through that.
1: because I noticed right directly over the um, the pipeline, um, the crop had just shrunk. You know, <laughs> for, for for about that. You know, thirty. Okay. 30 inches or three foot above the pipe, you know, you could really, you could just, you could just map out and see where where the pipe lay.
0: So in addition to the 50 foot easement that they worked on or the 100 foot easement where the construction was, there's, there's a pipe segment that also has warm soil above it because of the pressure inside that pipe and that's depleted even more.
1: Yes. And that's, you know, in the big picture, that's probably, that's probably small potatoes, that area, but it still doesn't change the fact that it, it it definitely has an effect on the yield.
0: Um, and now <clears throat> Dakota Access or Energy Transfer came to the Iowa Utilities Board a few months ago and said, "Oh, by the way, we're going to double the flow of oil in that." Just letting you know. And yeah. And the then, Utilities and Board then, said, "Wait a minute."
1: And I'm sure they knew. I'm sure they knew in in their original plans that that was the goal.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, I'm I'm sure of that. And because the fact when, that they're the fact that they're operating at 1,400. PSI right now. per square inch. Yes, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. You know, your tap, your tap coming out of your, out of your uh, faucet is um, you know thirty to fifty. So just imagine fourteen
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to take that shower.
1: <laughs> no, you wouldn't like have any skin. You wouldn't have any skin left.
0: <laughs> so the the threat of a leak, and it had, the, this pipeline leaked like pretty. Pretty close after it first started flowing, right? Did well you have a leak already? I and think they that, swore it was all bells
1: and whistles. I think at their pumping station near Cambridge, I, th- I heard stories that there was a, a small leak there within mm-hmm. their within their facility there. But uh, other than that, I haven't okay. I haven't heard of any any leak, and we haven't had any problems. It's um with with that, but it's you know it's going forward with these con- these problems to the land is. Is uh, I'd would like to get I'd like to get them um, you know I'd like to get them fixed.
0: How are they going to go about? I think I know the, you know increasing the flow of oil. That doesn't mean digging up your land again and laying another pipe. This no. has to do with the pumping station. Yes,
1: yes, turning it has to be turning the pressure up, and then they they want to add some kind of a lubricant to the oil, which you'd think oil was about as lubricated <laughs> as it could get, but. <laughs> Um,
0: well, it's crude. They, I'm
1: sure it's crude. I'm sure they. I'm sure they know. You know, they know what the process is. I. I sure don't. So, but
0: how will that affect that that pressure inside the pipe? Then these new well when, the, the oil and the new pumping stations are supposedly going to alleviate the increased pressure. I
1: haven't heard if they're planning on putting in another station, pumping station. Um, you know, there's only. I think there's only two on the whole on the whole course, one in North Dakota and then one here in Iowa. Hmm. I think there's only two pumping stations. The
0: ones in Cambridge here? Yes, near. right
1: along the interstate, yeah. along the Interstate 35, They're on the east side. Okay. And uh, I think those are the only two, so I don't know if they just, um, you know, ramp up the pressure at those two stations, or if they add, I, I really don't know.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, but I would think to double the flow of oil I can't imagine how high the pressure would have to go to to achieve that.
0: Well, when they first and, I, and
1: I, I'm pretty sure they're I'm pretty sure they're making a nice tidy profit at their current level. No,
0: no doubt, <laughs> no doubt. the the, the uh, reaction though of people to the the company Energy Transfer just informing the utilities board was pretty quick about, oh, hey, wait a minute, there, there should be an amendment to the permit. And then the utilities board eventually agreed that you can't just tell us you're going to double the flow of oil. Right. I like to equate it to, you know, I've got these two little granddaughters, five and three, and if we're having a chocolate candy or something as a treat, and I say, you may each have two candies. And then later they say, well, we're going to have each two more. And I said, well, that's not what we said you'd have. And they, they would say, you didn't say we couldn't have it. <laughs> so I, it's like... It's like five year old three year old mentality that they think they could just come and rewrite the rules at that point. So um, well, they
1: kind of you know they kind of had it that way from the beginning. you know they said we're going come through, you know we're going to come through your land and build a pipeline. so
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, so you know they've kind of had their way so far.
0: Well, and the people that didn't sign because it was just so such a convincing argument, well, it's a done deal, it's just another pipeline. we're going to do it anyway. Um some people resisted for a while. A uh, friend of mine who farms in Jasper County, he and his brother had side by side plots of uh, land, and they were both saying no. They weren't they weren't gonna sign, they weren't gonna sign. And they finally went, they sent a land agent to each of them separately. And they told each of them separately, I know you've been kinda you and your brother have been resisting, but your brother just signed. Huh. And this guy sat in my kitchen and cried telling this story, and he thought, well, if my my brother signed. There's no need for me to try to hang on to, to mine too. And and he signed. And they got each brother to sign okay. by telling them each at the same time. My okay. brother just well, said. there
1: were there were stories there earlier. You know when the when they were trying to get um, things. You know some pretty wild things. There was, some of the stories. There
0: were some wild stories about yeah. some coercion. Yeah. Some of them I don't know if they're decent yeah. for
1: air. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what I heard too.
0: Um, so you've. You've gone to talk to the folks. Um, wh- who did you talk to about the the pipeline and the Well, how you I, land I recently
1: there. visited with the right of way agent, who's mm-hmm. who's based out of this pumping station. There's offices there, and uh, and
0: where is where's
1: that? At, at, they got a Cambridge at address, Cambridge. but right, right along the interstate. Okay, um, they the got pump, a little office yeah, where they sit yeah. there and
0: watch the pipe, make sure it's not leaking. Well, there's a
1: lot. Of, there's quite a few people um, employed there. Mm-hmm. And so I asked for the right-of-way agent, and they directed me to him. And and he's new on the job, and said he was going to come down and look at some of these issues that I addressed of uh, of you know wet areas and where water sits now where it didn't before. So and then about the reduced yield, you know, he first asked if we had um, if we had um, a mapping system in our in our yield monitor, which we don't. So, you know, I don't have I don't have any way to prove that. Again our losses. you're asking
0: if you have this fancy yes. system in yes. place to figure out what yeah. they should know. Yeah,
1: and and you know, I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna go out and get one.
0: No, they you know. should take your word. Well
1: and I'm you know, they were they were good they were good initially on on paying damages. I I couldn't I couldn't fault that, but it was um, you know, it was a three year plan of a hundred percent then 60% damages, then 50. Well, here we are past that period, and we still have, you know, we still have um, problems, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't think I don't think we're gonna, I don't think we're gonna see um, the condition of the of the of the soil in the right of way improve much um, unless unless you know unless we try to do something. You know, Mother Nature is not gonna take care of it alone. It appears. Right.
0: right. Well, and, and you're not the only person. Um, Ed keeps in touch with farmers along the route because um, you know he met a lot of them when he was walking the route. Uh, is that how you and you and Ed?
1: Yes. Yeah?
0: Okay. Yep. That's yep. How, that's
1: prior how prior the, to prior the prior to it, um, going in, Ed Ed was walking up our road on a cold, windy day that wasn't really fit to be outside, but there he was. So like he does that kind of thing. That's where <laughs> that's where we met.
0: Um, so on, it's, on our, it's, not, just, it's not just you. Um, it's a lot of a lot of farmers reporting yeah. our, garbage in the ground, reduced yield. This is just an ongoing problem.
1: Our neighbor has really been affected. He, he's he's in our neighborhood, and you know he, he's they they've added tile and and uh, you know have tilled it as deep as they could, and yet there's still water sitting on top of the ground in places. Okay. It just really it just really changed. Something about the soil, about the capillary action of the soil or something.
0: Well it's not too late for people to continue to voice their concern over the possible doubling of the flow of oil in this pipeline. Writing a letter to the editor, writing the I.O. Utilities board, you can look up the docket number, I don't have it in front of me, but if you if you Google I.O. Utilities Board Pipeline or Bakken or anything like that, you'll you'll find it and you learn how to submit a letter voicing your concern. And uh, Doug Fuller, Farmer on the Route of the Dakota Access Pipeline, we've been um, glad that you could come in and share this with us today. Um, just just uh, kind of, we've got to keep expressing our concerns, and we've got uh, uh, some other guests coming up on today's Fallon Forum, and we'll be um, I, having them come on in a little bit. But
1: I agree that uh, the pressure is of concern. It it yeah. should be to, to anybody, right? It, and everybody.
0: We don't want to leak. No. And no. They all leak. They all they all leak. Is from kind of experience. So, um, thanks for being on today. Doug. Thanks for having to me. Yeah, and uh, we'll be back in a little bit at the Fallon Forum.
3: Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce specialty cheeses and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the lively cafe for breakfast, lunch and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community.
2: Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual.
3: Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location and stylish ambiance, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, Scott Smith, Tina Haas-Finley, and Nick Leo. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. If you haven't been to Noche, you haven't experienced the fullness of Des Moines cultural revival. If you have, we're sure you'll be back. Noche, located on Walnut Street, just south of the sculpture park in downtown Des Moines.
0: Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Filling in for Ed Fallon today. Our guest is Tyler Weig. And uh, before we talk about our topic today, and, and it's a pretty, pretty timeless topic, unfortunately, I'm going to thank some of our sponsors. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's our grocery store, and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Gateway also has catering service featuring a wide variety of options. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks to Story County Veterinary Clinic where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating all creatures great and small for over 30 years. Endorsed by our cat Mika and a flood of laying hens, that's Story County Veterinary Clinic. Also thanks to Ritual Cafe on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in Des Moines, Fair Trade Coffee. Fair trade tea, and an all-vegetarian menu, and an alluring venue for art, music, and so much of Des Moines' best cultural offerings, that's Ritual Cafe. Welcome to the show, Tyler.
4: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: Uh, Ed just pointed out that this is the first time that we've had two people on the show and only two kidneys represented. uh between the two of us on the show, so that's our topic today. Yeah, that is, uh, is uh, interesting. Kidney health, kidney donation, organ donation, transplantation. You are, uh, as am I, a kidney donor.
4: Yes, I actually became a living kidney donor on January seventh, two thousand thirteen. So it's been seven years now, and uh, most memorable thing I've probably done with my life. So it's it's been a wonderful experience and. Uh, something that I hope we have a chance to encourage others to do.
0: It's not an easy thing to do. I went through my uh, experience with this December 12th six years ago and um, you know happy to say that that things went well at the time. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about the fellow who received the kidney that came from me. Um, He's doing okay but he he has a new need for a kidney. So uh, before we talk about that though um, you know, back when you and I—well, I, I, um—I was—we were friends before yep. you donated yep. your kidney, and then I sat with your parents in the waiting room when you were in surgery. And I remember the doctor came out and said to your parents, "Oh, what a fine fellow you are, and what a beautiful kidney that was." That was <laughs> I've never thing. seen
4: it, but I, I <laughs> I'm glad to hear that.
0: You saw the video, though.
4: You know, I got the video, mm-hmm. and I got to the point where they were putting me under. And that's as far as I got. Okay. So I, I never watched any further
0: than that. Do you plan to watch it?
4: I don't know. You okay. know, for somebody who's a little squeamish around this kind of thing, um, those around me might think this was a a rare thing for me to do, but I'm not, I can't really watch it.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't blame you. I, There's I, no video of, of the surgery that I underwent.
4: So I have not and I probably won't, but I have it.
0: Um... I don't remember what the stats were when you were considering a donation and, and when I did, but right now, 93,000 people are on, in America are on the waiting list for a kidney donation. And uh, the average wait time for a donation currently is three to five years. People with type O blood wait a little longer. It can be a little more difficult because when you're type O, as I am, you can donate to any other blood type, but when you're type O, you can only receive a type O kidney. A lot of people think there's a more extensive matching process, but really it's about the, the size, the health of the kidney, the age of the donor, the age of the recipient. Um, so you had a very interesting and I think unique donation story.
4: Yeah, so it didn't start out that way. I, I started out um, just curious about organ donation. Uh, similar to a lot of people. You know, you Google something and try to figure out what exactly is this. It seems like a very big idea.
0: Is that because when you get your driver's license renewed, you always they always ask, are you a, an organ donor? Is yeah, that a lot spurred
4: of, that? Well, actually, what what spurred it was, I was on Facebook, and there was somebody who had created a page, and they needed a kidney. And I thought, what an interesting way to find a kidney. And a few months later, the page crossed my page, um, my profile again and I thought I can't believe that guy hasn't gotten his kidney yet
0: how, how much time how much time a few,
4: a few months a few you months. know so thousands of people had seen it and liked mm-hmm. it and commented and I thought well shoot um, I'm kind of maybe doing what some other people are doing looking at it saying God I hope he gets his kidney and not really doing much about it so I, I decided to take one small step and that was to um, get tested and to send my information to Indianapolis where he was located his hospital was located and they ended up um, saying that I'd have a 10 to 20 percent chance that I'd be a match. So I thought, well That's you know really, what?
0: really, I didn't, I didn't ever hear that. Part yeah, it was That's low. really slim.
4: So I thought, well I'll get tested and see what happens. And lo and behold, I was a match. Now in the time that it took to send the the blood, um, he had already found a match, so I was kind of a backup plan. But I kept doing research and learning about it and following his story online. And uh, he got his kidney. And yeah. I was off, yes, I was off the on-deck circle, so to speak. And I decided, well, shoot, I've learned a lot about it. I've taken a small step. Um, I'm sure there's other people like this fellow out there. Maybe I should see if what the process looks like here and, locally.
0: And you were how old at the time?
4: I was about, uh, I think S- I started the process 70. at late 20s, okay. 29 maybe.
0: And that's a... A, that's a young age. So yeah, you know, well, I... Think about something
4: like that. You know, when folks hear of donating an organ, they think, ah, I can never do that. Well, I don't think Kathy or I started that way. It was more of just, I want to learn a little bit. Maybe I'll get tested. We'll see where the process goes. Um, so I reached out to Mercy Hospital here in Des Moines, and they had me come in. I did some more testing, and it was just like a lot of baby steps um, getting to the point where I was... Um, Going to donate.
0: And they test for so many things. They test for your overall physical health, they test for the health of the kidney, they test for your your family history of yep. kidney disease. And, and you and I also share that we have a sibling with polycystic kidney disease. I have
4: a, a sibling who has cysts on his kidney. Um, it is a polycystic oh, kidney okay. disease, but, and I, I do have a cousin who does have polycystic kidney disease, um, but they. It's very thorough testing. Your emotional well-being. They want to make sure that mm-hmm. you can t- you can financially afford taking time off of work. You're not being coerced in any way mm-hmm. to do this. Uh, a lot. <laughs> they they really want to make yeah. sure you're ready to, to do this, and also at any time you can say no. So you could say no up until the second that you're um, that they in know. surgery, yes.
0: <laughs> Before they put you under. Yes, so.
4: they make sure that you know that you are not bound by any commitment um, whatsoever. So through the process of learning more about kidney donation, I came across a thing called paired kidney exchange, which is essentially if you wanted to donate to someone and you're not a match and somebody else wanted to donate to someone and they're not a match, you could swap partners. Mm-hmm. Uh, so both people would give to people that they did not know, but their person would receive a kidney. And you can actually extend that to three people, to four people. And lo and behold, the one that I participated in was actually five, uh, donate, five donors and five recipients and, and uh, ten people. Um, so I gave to someone who was wanting to receive a kidney from his wife. She was not a match. She agreed to give to somebody else. It in it's a chain
0: at a that chain point. at
4: that point yes so it kind of just blew up into this really magical thing that I had not anticipated happening but um the more I learned about it the more I became passionate about it. Mhm. Um.
0: So your you met your donor after the yeah after the process. It was an anonymous. Oh, sorry, you met your recipient.
4: Yes. Yes. So it was an anonymous uh, donation. Everyone in a part of the chain. Um, committed that they did want to meet their donor or recipient, and they did not need to do that. Um, I could have said I did not want to meet my recipient. He could have said he did not want to meet me. I met him two days later, mm-hmm. and uh, that I tell you, that was a feeling that I had never uh, felt before, knowing that something that was once mine um, is now his was really a, a very unique uh, experience, to say the least.
0: Um, and, and I remember kind of walking through that with you. We were friends at the time, we were co workers, and well, we weren't still co workers, we had been, and um, we both were in the health, you know, we worked for a global health organization, so health is important to both of us. Um, My story was very different in that it was uh, when my uh, son and his now wife were planning their wedding, and she said to me, well, my My uh, best friends are going to be my personal attendants, but Mandy's husband probably won't come to the wedding because he's really sick and needs a kidney. And I, frankly, I just said, well, maybe I could do it. And uh, kind of jump, sometimes I jump into things a little, but, uh, but the learning process is part of that. So they don't let anybody jump in. Without being aware and without having full information and full consent. Yeah, you're not
4: to do it. you're not going in and giving your kidney that day. The process <laughs> it was months. It was mine was uh, about a year. At, as time went on, you know, there, there were some matches and tests and that's mm-hmm. um, a whole slew of things, you know. So by the time you get to the point where you're actually going to go into surgery, I felt very comfortable. I was ready to mm-hmm. do it. I was ready to. Uh, get it over with a little bit because I had been thinking about it and I felt so comfortable with the the surgeons, the nurses, the social workers, all who help. It it felt very comfortable by the time it actually, I mean, obviously you're nervous. It's a major surgery, but um, I felt very comfortable by the time I got to that point.
0: It's a real team thing. Um, And having walked through that with you made me instantly feel Willing to say maybe I can do it because I knew what you went through and I knew that it was a long hard recovery but you recovered and yeah. and I knew the gratification that you had coming through the other side of that and um, you know I saw the video of you and your recipient um, meeting which was moving to me um, so the the fellow that I learned needed a donation was uh, David Mankey and he lived in Waterloo so through the University of Iowa. I started the testing process and after what you described, you know, was deemed healthy. I was 52, which is sort of the top end of where they'll even consider that you can think about a donation, but I'm just so lucky to be healthy. And despite the family history or the family connection that I have with some kidney disease, it wasn't going to impact me personally, and so his nephrologist talked to, my brother's a nephrologist, and and all of that kind of got going too, so that was a that was a real relief. And you and I were sitting having lunch when I got the call from the social worker at the University of Iowa saying I was a match and it was going to work. So that was a pretty cool coincidence, um, pretty moving thing. Uh, David, I got to meet David the night before the surgery. We met for a glass of clear liquids, and <laughs> <laughs> we were both fasting and. <laughs> and you know had our waters and uh, frankly it was, he was about 30 years old at the time I met him and his wife and lovely people and really really excited that that this was going to be happening the next day um, David was yellow he's a tall blonde fellow anyway but he was Homer Simpson esque. I mean I, he was it was weird yeah. so I got yeah. to meet him before and then when I woke up from the surgery was as soon as I was able to kind of get up, that was that was a big deal to get up the first time. Yeah. <laughs> but I got to go down and visit him, and he was pink, and that was really really cool to see. Um, his wife had shared with me that they were so glad that we were able to do this, and they hoped to get on with some life plans. And within a year and a half, they did have a little girl, Haley, and she's she's a beautiful a uh, beautiful little girl right now. It's just a joy to follow them on Facebook. Um, but because I'm following them on Facebook and I've gotten to be you know, somewhat friends with them, in the meantime, I have learned that the kidney that went to David um, shortly before Christmas, he caught a cold. And um, his, his original disease that triggered the need for his kidney, IgA nephropathy, otherwise known as Berger's disease, um, uh, the cold re-triggered the disease and and he now needs a kidney again so he's in he's in uh, kidney failure right now and that kidney's uh, not doing him any good anymore so usually you you hope to get a few more years out of kidney Um, that didn't work for David Um, nothing anybody could have done to prevent it Uh, it's just the way it it went and they tell you when you go into this that that might happen so um, David is now on dialysis before the before the transplant, he was able to avoid dialysis, and um, that gives you a better chance for success. Um, he is on dialysis now, and I just chatted with Mandy this morning. They hope that within about four weeks he can start doing dialysis at home, which improves the quality of life. So much dialysis is the machine that runs your, your fluids through a machine that does what a kidney would do, and then, and then helps you make pee. Yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> um, a very, very uh, dominating of your life, uh, dialysis is hours and hours of your life, very, very expensive.
0: yeah, yeah, it's a it's a big deal. So I'm really hoping um Mandy also says that a couple of people have stepped forward as you know being interested in donating. and as we both know, you can be interested and maybe it will work and maybe it won't work. Um, so there's if if anyone is, Curious about having an extended conversation with Tyler or me about the process, um, we'd be happy to talk to you, and you can just reach out to the Fallon Forum and, sure. and uh, let us know, and we could get them in touch with you. But um, we're just we're hoping that that David will find another kidney and get some more years with his wife and that beautiful little girl, um, if. If you go on Facebook and look for kidney donation for David Mankey, that's m a h n k e, I think or the H and the N might be <laughs> mixed up. But David, kidney donation for David Mankey, you can see what the what the um, situation for him is at the time and um, and do that. So talking about organ donation in general, yeah, I years ago I checked the organ donation thing. I thought, why not? I'll be dead, whatever. Um, but that's, that's not always an easy decision for people. Um, there's a lot involved, and sometimes some religious, uh, beliefs or some, some ethics beliefs that people have trouble, and I respect if people don't feel comfortable being an organ donor. But it's, in, it's surprising to find out the kinds of ways that parts of your body can be harvested, I'll use the word that, that's in common use, but my son had to have some, some, uh, oral surgery and he had to have a tooth implant and before that they had to grind up cadaver bone and put it into one of his bones to create a space to to drill the tooth wow. down into wow. and I, I had never imagined that that they could do that they took some of his own living bone scraped it off his jaw or something and then and then mixed it with cadaver bone and, and put wow. it in there to grow to grow the place for the new amazing. tooth um, one of my students who died of suicide uh, it was devastating for their family, and the mother saw me a couple years later. And she, the first thing she wanted to say was, she she had a brochure for um, organ donation, and and it was about eyes. And she said, "Look, somebody got his eyes," and that meant so much to her that you know she lost her son tragically, and you know s- seemingly senselessly. But somebody somebody got something, and she was ha- she was clutching. This brochure in her hands just with thanks that that could happen because he had checked he'd be an organ donor
4: I, the thing that for me um, organ donation is, a, is miraculous it's the fact that um, there's a lot of problems in the world and some have solutions and some don't but um, this is a solution for a problem and we all hold the key inside ourselves to solve it. And I think that for me was very motivational and inspirational to think I didn't have to be special. I didn't have to have any superpower. I just had to be willing to learn more and decide to take the next step. Um, I think it's a miracle. I think it's amazing that there are over, I think it's over 600 people awaiting kidneys in Iowa. Mm. Um, there's millions of people who live in Iowa. You can live with one kidney. Um, majority of those millions of people have two and all it takes is a small percentage of people to make that decision to say, well, maybe I can be a solution. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that was, it's amazing to think about what you did. I had no idea that even was a thing, but to think people can see, people can live, people can, um, I mean, all parts of you can be recycled for good use.
0: (laughs) I'm into recycling, you
4: know, and, um, all major religions support it. Uh, that was interesting to do the research to know that, you know, contrary to beliefs, they all support it. And uh, the old religious saying, um, why take your all your parts to heaven when people on, on earth need them, I think is very telling for a lot of people to say, why take them with you when there's people here who need them. So um, obviously people make that decision on their driver's license. Um, and That's a little more widely known, but to know that you can actually be alive and do this is something that um, hopefully people are a little more aware of and realize that you can live a long, healthy, happy life, uh, just like we are doing, and it doesn't um, impact you. I'm actually doing a, uh, a trail run in June, which is the longest run I've ever done, and I'm doing that with one kidney, so it's not as though you have to sacrifice your... Hobbies or health well, because of um, something you decide to do
0: let's drink. This is water. Let's drink to your health and remind people to To keep hydrated that's part main part of kidney health don't drink soda You know those are those are some of the simple things you can do stay healthy hydrate 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 and uh, And keep that up. So we want to thank Tyler Weig, fellow kidney donor for coming in today and um, we also want to thank our, um, our supporting organizations and the community-owned stations where this will be rebroadcast. You can listen to the Fallon Forum on uh, the podcast on Stitcher and iTunes. And um, we also want to make sure that uh, we acknowledge our production crew for today, Ed Fallon and Sherry Herdina. And uh, this is Kathy on the Fallon Forum with Tyler Wagg. Thanks. When it's time
3: to entertain, think of Gateway Market to handle all the details. Gateway offers a wide variety of stress-free options like cut-to-order cheese and charcuterie, a delicious olive bar, and a wide variety of chef-prepared dips and spreads. Or let Gateway's catering team take care of the entire event right down to the wine and beer pairings. Gateway's expert floral designers can even customize the perfect centerpieces. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more information. Gateway Market, good food, great entertaining.
0: Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's
2: 232-8766. It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers.
0: Guest is going to be Ed Fallon. Well, imagine that. (laughs) We're switching switching seats, switching roles a little bit. Uh, Before we talk about our topic today, which is springtime, late winter, springtime farm chores, uh, we want to say thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's our grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Gateway also has a catering service featuring a wide variety of options. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Bold Iowa, an independent nonprofit working to build urban-rural coalitions to address climate change and renewable energy and to fight the abuse of eminent domain. Learn more at boldiowa.com. And finally, thanks to Birds and Bees Urban Farm in Des Moines. Sign up for workshops and learn how to turn your yard into dinner. That's birdsbeesurbanfarm.org to learn more. Okay, welcome to the show. Well,
3: good to be here. (laughs) <laughs> a nice a nice flip of roles here for a change.
0: We just hosted our, our first Birds and Bees Urban Farm Workshop this past week, and uh, people got some hands-on experience planting seeds and such. So uh, the, the other day I was listening to a radio program, and somebody mentioned that it's a little too early to start seeds, and I almost called into that show and said, well, no, we already have a lot of our seeds started. So we're just going to talk about what people should be thinking of if they're Getting your gardens ready for this year.
3: Well, if you like artichokes and you live in Iowa, then you again probably want to start them in November, which is odd. But most seed planting starts in January, February, or March, and uh, yeah, it is possible to plant uh, too soon. If you plant tomatoes in February, you'll probably have gangly creatures that are you know too hard to manage by the time you're ready to put them in the ground, but. Yeah, you definitely want to get your onions going, your leeks going. And that's what we did with our first uh, our first uh, two classes was, was uh, plant, um, uh, we, we planted peppers and eggplant, I believe. Mm-hmm. You know, we already had the leeks and onions going, but it's not too early to plant peppers and eggplant. You know, those need a long time to get to the point where they're, they're big and strong and ready to be you know, put outside.
0: Right. We have, uh, we have our leeks are several inches tall now, a couple inches at least. The onions, some are just peeking out of their little seed pots and and, uh, making their appearances. But you mentioned planting artichokes in November. We planted something else in early November. Uh, Was it early November? The garlic. Garlic.
3: Well, that's outside, yeah. Yeah, that's outside. (laughs) Well, I think it was the very, very tail end of October. Right. But it kind of varies from year to year anymore. It used to be always in October that you would plant garlic. Mm. But with the weirdness of the new climate era, You'd have to be ready to plant it in November uh, and we you don't want to get it in too early or it'll sprout. but we um, I planted it as, as late as I think the second week of November but this year got it in the very last part of October. and you know I haven't peaked yet, but I suspect it's doing really well really well under that. That thick bed of straw.
0: The straw is really coming up thick.
3: Well, there's yeah, actually the straw is sprouting, which is uh, <laughs> that's
0: fine. You know, we'll you know, pick you, it. You
3: pay less for seedy straw, but that's okay. You know, we we can get that out of there.
0: We pull that and we feed it to the hens. They though. like it. Yes. So that's yeah. that. We make we don't let anything go to waste. Really. Yeah,
3: yeah I mean a lot of folks who aren't familiar with uh, with farming uh, don't realize that February is a fairly busy month. I mean pruning. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we don't have too much to prune. Uh, a few grapevines. Uh, blackberries uh, raspberries we kind of got ahead of that last fall you you mm-hmm. you beat, you, beat a, you, you you beat that uh I you beat know, that, the winter on, that, the winter one on that one yeah but then we you know there's always a few trees that that have a have a branch or two that are extending too far over some of the beds and they need to be pruned back so there's that still to do but there's building and repairing cold frames and uh, well not i mean cold frames yes but certainly uh, beds mm-hmm. you know if you want to have your beds ready to go when the weather is um, is ready it's a it's a good thing to get that done ahead of time
0: another thing is to think about if you don't have a source yet for compost or um, topsoil to put in your beds uh start thinking about where you're going to get that because um you can you can build a beautiful garden bed and then um wait around a couple weeks trying to source that and then by that time you should you should be getting on. it's
3: been interesting talking with some of the folks who are taking the the class with us because uh you know, some of them have what we have here in the urban core mm-hmm. is a, a mixture of clay and topsoil and um <laughs> gravel, uh, cinder block, or cinders. Because you know, in one, one part of where we grow food, it used to be a, a driveway for a model T, I believe, <laughs> and uh, and you're still kicking up cinders and gravel and whatnot there, and that's not particularly great. You have to sift, you know, kind of, kind of mm-hmm. a, sift that out, but. But for the most part, we were able to dig into the soil may as much as a foot and get um, get pretty good stuff. It's OK. And some places it's clay and you just don't want to deal with that. But i talking to one, one of our, our students out in rural Iowa. You know, it's amazing how much soil degradation has occurred even mm-hmm. in prime farm ground country. I mean, they've got nothing on. Uh, where they want to put their beds to work with? Did so, she
0: describe that it had really drifted all down, down the, down the slope? I and... think I think
3: that the one I'm thinking of, uh, there had been some excavation done around the when okay. the home was built. They tore up a lot of area around it, and and left uh, sand land that was mostly mostly clay and very much compacted, so. You know, that's about as effective as gardening on concrete, so...
0: They're going to need tall beds yeah. with a lot of good soil in there, because uh, I think they said they even tried to plant... Sometimes you can plant a long-rooted crop into a, daikon a radish clay is one soil, daikon radishes and they tried that, and the radishes couldn't even penetrate, <laughs> couldn't penetrate. the clay. And that's a very yeah, that's, challenging that's, yeah, that's, spot. that's there not
3: good. You know, it's almost better to... Go back to Ireland and, and grow grow stuff in all the rocks there. You know. Go back to
0: Ireland. Where <laughs> Go back you came to Ireland, where I came from. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. So uh, the um, yeah, yeah, the the bottom line is, it it doesn't you you can't have instant soil. You know, people mm-hmm. people who aren't familiar with growing food will look at a vacant lot in the city, or even in the country, and say, "Look, why don't we just grow food there? Look at all that land. We're just going to grow some food there." But they have no idea what they're dealing with, and they don't have any okay. idea until you dig into it a bit. And that was Analyze my experience
0: coming coming into town because I lived in rural Iowa on in, in the middle of a thousand plus acre farm for t- more than 25 years. And I was accustomed to just going out, digging up a little plot, putting the seeds in and magically everything grew beautifully year after year. I rotated crops really well, um, plenty of room to do it. And so Coming here, and we're in Sherman Hill in Des Moines. It's uh, it's a very urban setting, and we're in uh, we're farming the yard of one of the oldest row houses in Des Moines, circa 1885, and we are farming the north and west sides mainly of the house. Yeah,
3: and it's it's working, but you know it it takes a while to get that soil soil to the point where it can grow good food, and uh, people don't realize that. So you know if if you're planning on putting in a garden for the first time. Again, I, I strongly recommend raised beds. If, if you unless you're growing, you know, a large area of cropland out in the country, that's a different story. But if you're, if you're growing any kind of concentrated, you know, fruit or vegetable production, go with a raised bed. You can really concentrate your amendments and you're going to need those amendments to have any kind of productivity. And you might, you know, you, you could get productivity this year if it's your first year, if you have a nice mix of uh, of decent topsoil, Make sure. Make sure you don't buy some 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 lousy topsoil. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's not. If, if you 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 got to know that it's good stuff. And then the compost. Um. Yeah, you can always buy compost. It gets pretty expensive. Uh. But you know, if you want to get started, jump started fast. That's the way to go. And even that still takes a while to draw the, the worms and the and the microorganisms mm-hmm. and everything you need to make it a productive ecosystem. Because I think I think what people fail to recognize is soil is a living thing. It's 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 a it's a it's 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 where it's where it's where the life begins of the plants. It's you know? got a
0: lot going on, and um, uh, one of the other one of the other challenges in a in a small space that we have is crop rotation, because some of our crops can't be planted in the same place two years in a row. Um, tomatoes are the, the best example. Most people are aware well, that tomato can get blight. I yeah, have and grown tomatoes twice in a row in the same spot. But.
3: It's pushing it, but yeah. <laughs> I remember in, in Ireland as a kid, my, my uncles would always move the potato field, and they grew a, an amazing quantity of potatoes just mm-hmm. for, I mean, my uncles, two guys living together. You would not believe how many potatoes they grew because they were would they eat
0: bachelor farmers. Yeah, you know,
3: they yeah they were and they Literally. would they would eat seven or eight potatoes a day themselves. The dog got some. <laughs> the chickens got a bunch. The cows would get everybody ate potatoes. Everybody every life form like that. Ate, ate potatoes. So, but they would rotate them. They would right. always move them, uh, and they would move them. I, I can't remember how far away, but they would move them usually usually to another field. So yeah, it's really important to do that. But again, back to the compost. Um, one good source we have found are the uh, stables in Des Moines. Now, there there are stables in a lot of communities, obviously. And I I would bet that nearly all of them are happy to have somebody come and take the manure. And we're pretty picky. Uh, (laughs) We don't go in and just shovel any old thing. We try to avoid the sawdust. I've developed a very fine technique for uh, separating the road apples from the uh, sawdust.
0: It's radio, so we just use the polite terms. Road apples, yes. Yes. So
3: it works really well. It's more work. But in the end, you have a product that is perfect for amending the soil. Mm-hmm. Now you can't put it in if you put it into the spring; it's going to be too hot. It's going to burn mm-hmm. your plants. Yeah, so you've got to really concentrate. You really, you really want to have it, give it a chance to break down. I, you know, mix it with leaves, mm-hmm. straw, kitchen scraps, uh, kitchen scraps rather, weeds. Um, stuff from the chicken pen Speaking mix of all that chickens, together
0: some people i don't know if we're picking up on our mics our chickens are squawking up a storm out in the back They backyard. want to be right they now. want to be heard on this I, program I think we should have a chicken on as a guest sometime <laughs> we should do that we could just we could just have someone bring one it in might, and Im- she could have something to say It
3: might improve the quality of the conversation over your current guest No no <laughs> um
0: but the 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 chicken manure is a big part of what we do to make to make dirt to make yeah. soil that well, is good for growing and to
3: be s- to be clear, too, it's not really chicken manure. It's a, it's a really eclectic mix of mm-hmm. manure, straw, uh, wood shavings, uh, the scraps. The scraps we
0: throw in and it kind of decomposes. They pick leaves. around. Leaves.
3: I mean, we, we harvest. I use the word harvest about mm-hmm. 50 to 60 bags of leaves every year from very... You know, most people are upset when the wind blows their neighbor's leaves onto their property. We like that. That gives well, us more leaves.
0: <laughs> mostly. Well, so we mostly. We could run out of space eventually. We had a squirrel digging into a bag of leaves well, yesterday. <laughs> right, right, right. We sat at the table and saw a squirrel dig right through the bag, dig, dig, dig. And we, we'd we never seen that. And we thought, well, the squirrels are busy with their chores this time of year. Um, are they going to use some part of that bag for nesting? And finally, that squirrel came out with a nut. or some, I think it was a nut in its mouth and, and sat and ate that nut. How did that squirrel... <laughs> know that nut was in there. They're that's amazing. incredible.
3: The same way those squirrels in Willy Wonka knew that that girl was a bad nut.
0: You're talking about the um, not not the not the Gene Wilder version. You're talking about the Johnny, Johnny, Johnny Depp. Depp version. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Which I haven't
3: seen. <laughs> I've only seen that one scene and it's it's worth seeing. Squirrels smarter than you think. So, you know, anyway, March is coming up and there's mm-hmm. going to be a bunch of new stuff to do real soon.
0: Yes. And um, uh, so getting out there and just kind of checking, checking on your beds and check. Well, we've also started to see some stuff that is perennial come up. We've got some of the flowers coming up, but I forgot yesterday to check if the rhubarb is starting to show its little, you know, it gets that red bulb
2: Crown. kind of mm. coming up
0: through the soil. So it's an exciting time of year and chives. Right. Uh, we have, those are some of the first things that we'll see. Um, but, and for
3: us to the uh, bee, the bees were uh, have been out mention. Uh, even one of the temps in the like low 40s they'll if this there's, there's enough sun mm-hmm. on the hive they'll come out and and we're really happy that both beehives seem to be thriving this is so. our
0: first year to winter bees over we didn't we weren't able to keep our bees through after Thanksgiving the previous year but last year um, we we went into winter with our bees intact and we we developed a new well we, we learned about a new system. Not a new system, new to us, to ensure that the bees have a more comfortable and safe winter, and that's a, a, an extra box on the top of the top hive called a quilt box or a winter box, and we got a lot of the good information about that from our friend Abigail Kelly Who's and her about sister to be Bethany, the, the
3: Honey Queen, the Honey Queen of <laughs> Iowa.
0: So we we we're, yeah. we know royalty. But
3: what's, what was interesting to me was you know you would think that temperatures in the negative digits would kill. A colony of bees—it's not really the problem. It's the—it's mm-hmm. the cold and wet combo. It's the moisture that gets them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there are other things, other things that can get a beehive as well, but the moisture is a real problem. But and there, that's what that box is for—is to vent that moisture out of the hive.
0: Yeah. There, so. there are some wood shavings at the bottom of that box, held up by some screen, and it absorbs moisture. But then there are holes mm. on the side of the box, and we have oh, we tend to have a supply of court. Uh, wine corks around i'm not sure where they come from but th- then we, we cork or uncork those holes depending on the weather and how moist that is so um it's exciting to see two of the hives thriving through the winter you just went out and heard them the other day the other oh, day it, you yeah, said they were very active
3: they're, they're very buzzy okay very buzzy Buzzy bees. So, anyway, the um, you know for for next month, March, uh, really for us is not going to be a lot to do except for adding maybe an additional pollen patty. That's a, mm-hmm. an additional source of food for them if their stores from what they uh, had saved for the winter are starting to get low. And the hens, you know, they're they're to the point now where they will not need any uh, additional light. Pretty soon, they'll mm-hmm. be able just to. Uh, continue to lay eggs on, on what the uh, what the uh, daylight is now producing?
0: There are two schools of thought on that. We do put light on the hens from morning uh, till, you know, when it's dark in the morning, we'll put give them a light, and then in the evening when it gets dark early, and they lay well for us. And some people are fine with just uh, not putting an extra light in with their hens they maybe don't need the extra eggs, and there's a school of thought that says you, you want them to have their natural cycle of light. But I'm wondering, that doesn't, you know, what do hens do near the equator? They would have light more than right. we have, and so I'm not sure that's a really
3: They're good by their, their their home of origin is the equator. So mm-hmm. yeah, we, And we, and we kind of like to eat eggs uh between October and March so we're going we to we, we keep of hens. we keep the light on <laughs> but yeah the hens are about to get a little easier the big challenge with the hens right now well in March will be uh, cleaning the pen because the pen has been gathering so much stuff all winter long that now you've got a big operation and it's going to be a big and stinky operation it's messy. but if i you know if i get out there wear the wear the appropriate mask get it done quickly enough mm-hmm. um, put some uh, sweet pdz down or some new straw, some wood wood shavings. Yeah, that's that smell won't won't be around very long, very long at all. And you'll have some again great compost.
0: We're in Des Moines proper, and um, in Des Moines you can have up to thirty chickens in your yard, providing you have ample space and um, you know your neighbors are, aren't minding any of the sound and and that kind of thing. So we feel lucky. Not all of the surrounding communities can do that. And strangely in 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 Polk County, just outside the Des Moines yeah. city limits, they can have fewer yeah. chickens than we can have. Yeah,
3: in Polk County, you can have more in the city of Des Moines than you can in the country.
0: So that's, Go figure. that's a little odd. Well, yeah. it's exciting to have started our birds and bees urban farm workshops because I felt like uh, we were really providing some good information. And then the community of people who come together to learn from each other. And one of the one of the most important things to think about if you're going to be starting a farm or making your, your garden a little bigger this year is to um, be patient with yourself. Join a couple Facebook groups that, that talk about growing vegetables, chickens, there, there are different groups that do that. And uh, and be, you know, just, just kind of give yourself a break if you make a mistake. So thanks, Ed, for talking to us today about Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And this has been Kathy with you on the Fallon Forum.